what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay, now, from the beginning. Welcome to BS, Beyond Stereotypes, a podcast about lawyers using their authentic voices to change the world. It's really been that journey to understanding who am I, what do I believe in, what do I want to do, what's important, and that's how I found my footing as a human, as a mom, and you know, as a lawyer, as a leader. It's been that journey to really standing in my ground uh, and being able to take up space as an, as myself authentically, right? Like not trying to hide behind a story, a resume, but just being who I am, my entire story. Welcome to BS, Beyond Stereotypes. I'm your host, Merle Vaughn. Here to BS with me today is Jennifer Hibbert Brewer, whose story I find fascinating and who will no doubt inspire all of you to embrace your authenticity. Hey, Jen. Hey, Merle. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm honored Absolutely. to be here. Absolutely. It's been way too long. So... The way I like to start these conversations, uh, Jen, is by saying a little bit about you um, and then what, you know, what I know about you. I don't go into a long dossier or anything because, you know, it's 2023 and people can Google you and look you up. Um, But I do like to say briefly what you, a, a, a little bit about you. And so Jennifer is the Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer at Activist Vision Blizzard here in Santa Monica, California. She graduated from Hastings School of Law. She started her legal career as an associate at Skadden, uh, was there for about four years, and and then went in-house and has done tons of things. I, I think she may have done more things than I've done in my career, and she's a lot younger. So that kind of tells you why we want to talk to Jennifer. What did, what did I miss? Or are there any highlights you want to add, Jennifer? There's a lot of stuff along the way that you're you're well aware of. And I think that's I think that's the gist of it for sure. Okay, great. Um, so I like to start out by having people give us an idea of where you're from, like who you are based on your personal experience, where you grew up, um, who was kind of the major influences um, in your life, whether it's parents or teachers or or not. Um, and if you could just kind of grace us with that part of your story to start, I'd really appreciate it. Of course, I knew, I knew you were going to ask this question. <laughs> And I was thoughtful about how I wanted to answer. And part of it is because I think, I think if you look at me, you think I just have, you know, a, uh, I, I have a story of, of white privilege and that is true. But the, the things that really shaped me as a young person were the things that you couldn't see and the things that were sort of going on behind the scenes. So I, you know, I grew up 
in Portland, Oregon and uh, family of four, everything really looked just right on the outside. In fact, it looked, it looked perfect, but what was going on behind the scenes um, was not. And so I really came from, you know, ad addiction and mental illness. And mm -hmm. that's part of my, it's an important part of my story because it's uh, part of the reason I do what I do and I am the way I am. I did have, um, you know, I had a really great dad who loved me and believed in me no matter what. And that was my ground. And that was really, that was really my rock. Um, but I didn't feel safe a lot um, oh. in my home. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of, uh, nothing was fair. Uh, it wasn't just, and there was a lot of um, lies. And so I think, you know, I'm somewhat, my belief in the importance of fairness and justice mm -hmm. and the truth, I think I feel so strongly about it because of the imbalance of those things in, in the house I grew up in. It was all about, you know, keep this looking this way on the outside um, without, you know, talking about what was going on on the inside. And so I think those are part of an important part of why I am the way I am. I, t I hightailed it out of Oregon and Portland um, as, as soon as I could. And I made my way on my own. And I think, you know, I also developed sort of rules because there weren't, there weren't a lot, there were no rules actually in my house. Um, Interesting. And so I made my own <laughs> and I, I honestly made too many of them, but I had a safe haven in school, you know, because in school, you do the work, you get the grade. Like I had this element of control, this illusion of control, and I felt safe. And I had countless teachers um, who believed in me and supported me. And school was a totally safe place. And I was just going to get out. Um, where, did you go? Did, where did you go undergrad, Jen? I went to Oregon. It was the Robert D. Clark Honors College, which is a, a school within the University of Oregon. So I was within Oregon. And then I graduated from college. And a week later, I packed up my little, you know, 1989 Accord and drove to California. And my family was like, you're going to be back in a week. I never came back. Um, that, that was my last my last time in Oregon was a week after I graduated from college. Wow, that you know, and I I I knew some of that, but I had never heard you um, relate it that way. And it, it's it, so it's not a coincidence. I think that we found each other um, because I you know I had a similar experience growing up, you know, um, with a father who you know was an alcoholic. And and the lack of fairness, my lack of fair, fairness was how I felt like I was treated compared to my sister mm -hmm. um, because I was treated better um, than mm -hmm. she was. And I always had guilt um, associated with that. So, you know, it, it, it's really interesting how those things and, you know, I actually now consider them traumas, you know, yeah. just ch childhood traumas that that um form who you are do you do you feel that as well 100 percent. i feel like i spent the last you know 20 years understanding the the sort of 
and, and being able to call them that, being able to call them, you know, traumas, um, you know, because my family story continued. It didn't, it, <laughs> didn't get, it didn't get better. In fact, it got to the point where it's really out there, you know, became no longer a secret. And um, really understanding what those things are, those, tr- those traumas and, and how like finding resilience, I think is about yeah. understanding them. And it's also such a, you know, resilience is, it's almost everything. And so being able to see how they are part of my story, but they aren't me, they don't, you know, they don't define me. They're just a part of my story uh, has been a really important part of my, my journey. Did you uh, decide at some point that you were not going to raise your family? Like, did you make this rule? Like, you know, I had this experience, but if I have kids, they're not going to have this experience and I'm going to do things very differently because I know I did. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think I've spent the last 20 years unpacking because I, I didn't really acknowledge the truth of all the different things I grew up with. Um, I was loyal to the story, if you will, in my family and the, and the mm-hmm. disease in my family. Um, and so I, at, at, sort of the age of 30, I took a different path and I was, nothing was going to be the same. Uh, and, and in the last 20 years I've spent really building, you know, and a lot of that is I think work on, um, myself, but my home is so incredibly different than the one I grew up in. And it's probably the thing I'm the most proud of in my entire life is that the safety and the 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 love and the sobriety in my home is is a blessing um that you know my husband and I've worked hard 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 for both of us with our stories but absolutely it was my um my plan and my commitment but also it just sort of happened because I kept opening doors and kept seeing more and my my career really uh, paralleled that, that journey as well. Well, and, and that's, it's really interesting because you said that there were no rules. You created a lot of rules. You left, you escaped, you went to law school of all things, which is a rule-based existence and obviously did exceptionally well, ended up at Skadden, you know, the, one of the top if not, especially at that time, one of the top firms um, in the country, if not the world, um, which, you know, is, and but then when I met you, I cold called you as an associate. I think you were a fourth year associate or sixth year associate or something. And we talked and you were kind of having this epiphany at the time that maybe this wasn't the right thing for you. Do you remember what was going on and and why you thought, you know, big law might not be right for you? Yes. So I think, and I think it ties back to the, the, (laughs) all the ideas I had as a young person, which were get the best grades, perform, get to the next level, get the big job, get here, get there. I literally had a compulsion to work and to do more that was like it was as if i was chasing some some of those inner some of those inner monsters like i was going to get ahead of them and i think what happened is i got to that place where i got the things i graduated at the very top of my class i got this big job i 
was successful. I was good. I was doing all the things. I checked those boxes and I was not happy and I was mm -hmm. not happy and I was not okay. And I think that was the beginning of me realizing that there was more, there was so much more. Um, and it wasn't actually a problem with my career or my work. I loved my time at Skadden. It gave me incredible training. I still have such, you know, close memories and um, I was really mentored there. Mm -hmm. um, so I, it, it wasn't that, but it was this, I had been chasing this thing that I thought mm -hmm. was going to be okay. And it, it was becoming very clear that it was not was not it wasn't going to work that way and that was really the beginning when 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 you and I met and you were a, a significant part of it Merle because you said a lot of things that still you know still sit with me today but you were one of those people who I met during that time where I was really beginning this transformation yeah and you know for me and I thanks for that I I for me I think that chasing is like when when you grow up up in a dysfunctional environment and but you're but you embrace resilience early for whatever reason because it's just who you are. Um, one of the things that you do to escape or 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 survive is try to be perfect, right? Yeah. Is you're you're searching for that perfection. Everything needs to be perfect because if it's perfect, then maybe you'll be okay. Everything will be okay. You there won't be negative consequences to you or the people you love if you as a child can figure out how to make everything around you perfect. A hundred percent. So so, you know, you you decide, you know, that you're going to go in house um, and you you joined. Uh, it was wasn't it the, the was firm. it, a, it the was firm. called the firm and it was the, the agency that that, that show. Yeah. What, yeah, that show. What was the show was made about it? Right. Um, I was just at the time it was the biggest talent management firm that there was. Um, yeah. And I, I went in uh, as a general counsel. I mean, <laughs> it was, <laughs> I was quite young to be in that, in that role. And it was quite an, quite a place uh, with a lot going on. But the one thing is I did, I, I did love the job, right? I love right. being able to do all those different things. The one thing I, and I still know this about myself, I always have to be learning. I always have to be doing something new. There has to be a challenge. I don't want to be doing the same thing over and over again. And that was something in that general counsel role. There was some of everything. And I really enjoyed that. Entertainment and that environment was definitely not uh, a match for me. That was <laughs> that was more, <laughs> more of a reflection of the house I grew up in than you know, than anything right. else. So it was not, you know, that that was not the right place for me. But I did, I did, I did love the job itself. Um, but that was when I, I needed to take a break after that, after that from uh, the practice of law. Right. And so the break, so you say, you know, you're like, I need to take a break. And I say, well, join me, be a recruiter <laughs> at a different company. And you came in and you kicked butt 
for, I mean, some like short period of time. I think you're like the top recruiter in the company within a couple of months. And you were like, okay, I've done that. Time to go off and do something else. I feel like that's when you became the person that I really see you as. And I, you know, I've never told you this, but I, I see you as Zen Jen, mm. uh, you know, where you found your Zen, like, you, you know, I think you went to a, a, a yoga retreat or something that may have been where you met your husband, you know, talk to it, talk to me about how you found that Zen. <clears throat> oh, it's been so many different parts of that. It was definitely the beginning. And I appreciate you saying that. And I, I do, you are someone who has, you know, to, to use those words, see, seen me, I've, I felt, but that was the beginning of a really transitional time where I just knew I had to do something different to not recreate all the things that I, that I came from, that there was no safety in perfect. There was no safety in doing everything exactly right. And, you know, it's been, it was a lot of different things um, from, you know, there, there wasn't one little thing, but it was sort of following the, the doors and opening them. Um, you know, there was a huge part of, you know, there's so many different types of recovery and healing and meditation and therapy that are available. And there's a lot of different things that have been a part of my, you know, my sort of personal journey, um, you know, to understanding sort of who I want to be, who who I am and who I want to be. I really would describe it as a journey to authenticity, right? Because yeah. the whole perfection thing was like, I'm trying to become this perfect person so that none of the bad things can happen. And, you know, I think I was afraid that if I actually deal with what's underneath, am I still going to be, am I still going to be good at my job? Am I still going to be able to work? And the truth is, you know, of course, it's quite the opposite. The, the right. journey to authenticity has brought me a bigger life, a bigger career, you know, but it's really been that journey to understanding who am I? What do I believe in? What do I want to do? What's important? And that's how I found my footing as a human, as a mom, and, you know, as a lawyer, as a leader. It's been that journey to really standing in my ground uh, and being able to take up space as, a, as myself authentically, right? Like not trying to hide behind a story, a resume, but just being who I am, my entire story, um, you know, my family's story is not my, is not my stain, right? Like I get to yep. make my own story. And I think it's something that, that I had to discover on my own over time and I'll still be, you know, it's, it's an ongoing journey. It's, it'll, it'll be, it'll keep me busy. I think during this lifetime. So when we first started, you said something about, you know, people, all these things that we're talking about is kind of what you're carrying, right? In your backpack. We never know what people are carrying in their backpacks. Right. Um, and But but from the outside, what people might see is just kind of your, what you called, you know, white privilege. And I appreciate your acknowledging, acknowledging that 
based on that and what your story really is, you know, what do you, what stereotypes do you think that people see? What, what stereotypes do you think you've had to overcome and what stereotypes are you still overcoming uh, on, on this journey? That's a great question. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think that people have thought for whatever reason that I just had a very spoon-fed life. And, it, you know, I have, whether it's a combination of one, I, and I have, like, I, I, I don't want to undercut that. I have enjoyed extensive privilege. That's just a fact. And that's, you know, something I would, I would never, um, I would never minimize, but I think people have assumed uh, with a smile on my face and the way I would, you know, maybe hold things together that things came very easily to me. I had teachers, I think, who assumed I just had incredible ease and they, they didn't know what was going on, you know, mm -hmm. they didn't know what was going on in my house or behind the scenes. And I think that has continued. And I think I'm a part of that because I think I pr present that, but it's really just one, this assumption that um, there's been that ease. And I think the reality is being, you know, I've been the the only woman in the room in more times in, in my career than I can count, right? And I think right. it's been an incredible journey that times have changed, things have changed. But there's still, you know, the subtleties of bias are a real part of, you know, human life. And I think we all we all have them and have to acknowledge them. Um, but <clears throat> that's a part of my experience. A lot of today, it's the subtleties of, of people just not being able to see. And, you know, I think there's a lot more discussion about it and there's a lot more awareness of it, but there's still a... a a fair amount of dismissing of it, right? Yeah, like yeah. It, it's, that's just the truth. And for me, it's sort of knowing when when is the hill I'm in a fight? When is the moment it really matters? What are the things I just let go of and I move past and I let those roll off? And when are the moments that I'm going to say, no, uh -uh, we're not going to do this. So I think, um, you know, part of the way I, I commit my work you know, today to, you know, what's right, right? But I, I take it, my team's job is to, you know, is the workplace as it is today. So a lot of what I do and how I feel about overcoming, you know, stereotypes in general comes out in, in the work we do, which is about yes. getting to equity, about getting to justice, about getting to the right outcome, the truth, right? Not right. in one way, but just the, the, the truth. And so, and a lot of people have had, I mean, this, every human has a story, right? And, and has been through a lot. And when we approach you know, any kind of matter, it's there's humans on all sides, right? And to really, um, really keep that in mind. But for me, it's like the service of what I do in fighting for equity is, is a big part of sort of how I, um, how, how I overcome that for myself, if that makes sense. It does. Now, you know, I, I said to you, I have all these freaking, I, I have, stereotypes about you right I mean and I know you 
And one of my stereotypes about you is when I was preparing for this and I'm reading it and said, you know, chief ethics and compliance officer. And I was like, ethics? Hell yeah, absolutely. Compliance? Really, Jennifer? (laughs) Because to me, you are like the epitome of think outside the box, you know, do things differently to get them done, you know? And so how, you know, do you understand, you know, it's like, how does that work for you? And, And explain to me, how you bring your full self to that role? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. And I think you're right. And I think that the reason I am here today in this role is because of that. Um, Because, you know, when we're talking about ethics and we're talking about, um, you know, doing, doing the right thing, Mm-hmm. You do have to, you do have to push outside the box. And, you know, I, I won't go into a ton of detail about, you know, my role today, but one of the things I'm the most proud of that was a passion project of mine at this company was, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard of ethical liaison programs. If you haven't, they're, you know, sort of um, a best practice in the mm-hmm. ethics and compliance world. You, you sort of nominate uh, regular people to take on a role as a liaison. Um, we kicked off in 2018 and it was an idea I'd had for years. And I just, one of the things I am is, is relentless. And I yeah, really yeah. wanted to do this. And I was like, well, it's sweet. It's, we can't do a global thing, blah, blah. There was all these the obstacles because of the way our company is set up. And, um, but we got the support to do it at the highest level of the company. And that program we rolled out is called the Way to Play Heroes. So our ethics and compliance team is called the Way to Play. What's the mm-hmm. right play? Um, and these are Way to Play Heroes. And there's now, you know, more than 140 of them around the globe. And it's been the most inspirational, um, most important thing we've done as an organization. Wow. Because, you know, when you'd lock... Ethics and compliance can't be a corporate function where corporate folks sit there and make sure everybody does the right thing. It has to really grow, uh, be planted and grow where it is. And so you have, and and people always are going to be more inspired by hearing people who they know, who they trust. So we have nominated, you know, highly um, credible people who are trusted, trusted people, trusted by their peers, trusted by leaders, and they care about, you know, doing the right thing. They care about equity. They care about inclusion. And these folks have been, you know, part of the reason I've stayed in my chair. They've inspired me to that level. They've made us better. Um, And so that thinking outside the box was a huge, 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 you know, win. And I think it's one of the things where when we do the same thing over and over and over again, you know, nothing changes if nothing changes. Exactly. I I think it's a critical part of, you know, yes, we want to be consistent. We want to do the right thing, but we have to be willing to push the envelope or else we're not going to get to a better place. Now, is is diversity part of that um, initiative? So we have an incredible chief uh, 
you know, DE&I officer who, Kristen Hines, who is a partner and a friend and someone I should actually introduce you to. She's amazing. Um, what I would say is a big part of our, our worlds are, are integrated and combined and overlap. So, you know, number of the types of, you know, so, so my team is responsible for, like, I have a workplace integrity team, which reports up to me and a team of workplace investigators. And then I have ethics and compliance investigations, and we have operations, training, data, you know, communications, and we have our heroes program. A lot of the matters and concerns that come in are really in the, you know, they're all, um, in overlapping spaces. So we mm. partner really closely on those efforts. And I think similar to ethics and compliance, DE&I can't sit in a corporate function somewhere and be effective, right? It has to be part of every single thing that we do as leaders. Yeah. Um, so it's, you can't just check the box over there and have, you know, the right person. It really has to be infused throughout the organization. So there's a lot of partnership and overlap amongst the teams. Interesting. And so, you know, you're uh, basically you're a global company and you, you you talked about this program that you have. And it sounds like you have representatives from all over probably the world. How, how do you uh, uh, how, how have you learned to uh, integrate all that and deal with that and deal with the different cultures? And is it is it easy or, you know, is it challenging? It has become easy because it's such an incredible group of people. I would say that part of the reason we're able to effectively respond um, and include every culture around the globe is because we have a voice. We have a strong voice from every place around the globe. And our team has been ahead on some of those efforts. I think it's a real watch out for US-based companies that are global to, you know, remember and include all of the, the, the individual people from around the globe. And I think that's this here, I mean, we have a number, it's it's a it's a it's a ton goes into this program, right? We have, you know, communication channel where there's, you know, a Slack channel where the heroes are constantly asking questions, sharing stories, seeking, seeking guidance. And we have regular sessions, you know, at least once a quarter, um, regular communication so that we're always there's there's a lot of programming and support that goes into that. Um, effort and it's a two-way two-way sharing we do we do annual training um, for all of them and their ability like these are people who speak up right so these are the people who say hey you got to think about this they review every policy before it rolls out and they've been able to really um, you know, if you roll a policy out and you don't check with people and it doesn't work, you've you've done you've made no no progress. But exactly. when the policy is really understood and reflects the people who work at the company around the globe, then we have something meaningful. So the, these people have been really a part of that. And sometimes it's just the way things are described in another language. It's the term. It's this. It's that. It can be small things. It can be big things. Um, and they share input with us about all kinds of things. Like if a communication goes out from another team that lands poorly, we're very likely to hear about it through our heroes network. That's amazing. That that's 
that that is because you know I'm a firm believer that you know you have to get people involved in order for people to actually participate they need to be involved in the decisions you know you can't just tell people you have to do this because they don't in the end right and 100%. so if they don't yeah. buy in they won't they're not going to do anything i agree i i'm a i'm a believer in um surveys too you know it's like in you know the offices that that i'm responsible for they're you know i put out a survey you know do you want to do this that or the other please yeah. choose and yeah. if they choose it then they kind of have to come right they kind of have to do it but if i just say we're gonna do this then they don't have they're not gonna do it absolutely absolutely so um Back to your journey. And I think one of the things that people would want to know is you, you've gone from really kind of, or, or, and you can disabuse me of this if this isn't true, but, you know, I've always been left with the impression that the compliance group or, or is not part of the legal group. And that, and people, I've had people tell me that if they leave legal and go to compliance, it's hard to go back to legal. Is that true or is that incorrect? That's an interesting question. I don't think that I, I am a firm believer that you can do anything you want. <laughs> I just yeah. go back and forth. And I've done things already in my career many times that people told me you can't do. So I kind of say, I don't believe any of that. Um, you know, in my journey towards compliance, so so when I when I graduated from law school and I went to Skadden, I focused on MA, but right. it's also, you know, Sarbanes Oxley was new and that whole compliance function was really developing. And I've really fallen into it today. So when I, for many years when I was here, ethics and or compliance was part of legal. Um, we reported up to the chief legal officer. Um, and then that changed here. And so for the last, has it been two, two years or so, ethics and compliance is separate from legal. I think it's great when it's separate because you can have different uh, perspectives, right? So we work together closely and I'm very integrated and close partners with the legal team. And there are many lawyers, myself included, on my team, but we have a different lens. We look at things from a different perspective. And sometimes the right thing from a legal perspective and a legal risk perspective is different from the right thing from my perspective and from an ethics and compliance perspective. And I think it's important to have that, you know, have both views at the table and have them separate. Um, that said, I don't see any reason that you can't, you know, go go back and forth. I think different companies structure it differently. Um, and, you know, for anybody sort of young in their career, worry, I was so worried. Oh, I'm going to get pigeonholed. I'm going to get right. stuck. You know, I, I we're never stuck. And, you know, I definitely have a natural inclination if somebody tells me I can't do something to do it anyway. And <laughs> yep. I, I recommend it. I recommend that that inclination um nothing should be well, possible. 
the way I, I think about that is, I, I love the way you phrase it. The way I think about it is if somebody tells me I have to do something, I'm not doing it. So, <laughs> right, right. So, and, and it works the other way as well, probably even better. <laughs> but, um, so talk to me, are you still, are you still uh, doing yoga? Or are you going to retreats? I mean, what are you doing to, to keep your zen? It's so funny. So another part of, of my journey has been, you know, when I had kids, um, they both had, they both ended up having some health, crazy health challenges that really impacted um, <laughs> in my Zen for one, uh, but also, you know, just my, my path, it became a huge trying to, trying to navigate them to wellness. And I'm happy to say they're both like 13 and 11 and healthy and thriving and, and incredible today. But we went through a lot of, of scary times. Um, and I went through a, a lot of crazy things that happened in my family, you know, um, I lost my dad a few years later, my mom, um, my brother has had a very unfortunate path. And so it's sort of like, I'm the remaining person in my, um, in my family. And that Zen sort of like, without me being tied to uh, the ground and myself, there's no way to really walk through those things, you know? And so I would say the thing um, for me, it's a combination of living by, you know, intuition, authenticity, mm -hmm. and grit, and finding the peace, you know, in between, right? So it's like going through those hard things, like having something not okay with my kids. That's the, well, that's the worst. That's the doozy. And I really had to find just this surrender where I was going to just let go. I can only do what I can do. And then I have to let go of the outcome. And that applies to every aspect of my life, my career, you know, and my personal life. I can do what I can do. And then I have to let go of the outcome and really learning how to surrender the, those things. Uh, I don't think there's a quick fix. I think it's journey. And, you know, um, I have the thing for me is I have a tendency because I learned this as a small child to work my way through, yeah. you know, just work, 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 work. And there are side benefits that come from that, you know, um, but learning how to to dial it back and find the space uh, is is part of that. And I just don't think there's there's a quick answer for it. And I think that even those hardships they come with resilience and they come with um, other gifts that are sometimes hard to see in the moment, but you can see them later. So how has remote work played into all of that for you? Has it been a, a benefit or has it made things tougher? That's a great question. So for me, remote work has not made work life balance easier in the sense that I can sit here and work 24 hours a day without stopping now. Right. Um, it, you know, I don't know if it's like that for everybody. I'm sure it's a little bit individual, but it is incredible in that, you know, there are, it's, it's a lot easier to be there for a, a moment. Um, we've had an incredibly busy time though at the company for the last um, couple of years. And 
I had, you know, very busy time in, in 2021. And it was one, it was a Saturday night, 11, 1130 at night, mm. I was still just working away. And my daughter came up to me and she put her hands on her hips and she said, mom, you are making a choice. This is a choice. And I thought, I, what did she mean? I have to do this. I have no choice. And I was like, no, she's actually right. And I got offline and I went downstairs with her and we were going to sleep. And she's like, mom, your job is not that important. It's video games. You know, you sit on a screen. She's like, you're not a police officer. You're not saving people's lives. Oh my and God. I mean, I was like, she really is correct. Right. Like she's really correct. And that was a turning point for me where I was like, you know what, I have to, um, <laughs> I, I can, I can, I, I'm going to listen to this small, powerful, I mean, you know, shocking. I created a small, little, powerful human. Um, but I, I, that was a turning point for me. And I've worked to try to have some balance. I think now I get to go into the office periodically, which is fun. Um, but there is a lot of remote work. And I try, I try to have balance sometimes with more success, um, sometimes with less. Out of the mouth of babes, right? Right. right. <laughs> well, we just, um, I, I, we just had a meeting at our office the other day and, and the subject uh, that one of my colleagues wanted to talk about was called work creep. Um, and that's what you just you just described. And and she was funny. She said, I'm not talking about the person around you know, around the corner who's actually a creep. I mean, this is work that's creeping into your your personal life. Yep. Right. And and then one of our other colleagues said, you know, the way that she looks at it is that um, nobody's going to die in what we do. If, it, right. if you don't do it right there in that moment, if you don't do it until the next morning, nobody's going to die. And it's just amazing that your, you know, your young daughter understands yeah. that. And but it's also a testament to you and your husband. Yeah, I hope so. She's something. So we're we're kind of, you know, at the end of our time here, which I'm really sad to, to say. Um, wanted to ask you if you have uh, any uh, suggestions or uh, any illustrate any illustrative stories uh, that you want to share with our audience to encourage them or advise them on how to uh, embrace their authenticity and and be themselves, but still you know do this thing we you know we call practicing law in in corporate america mm, love it um you think of a story i mean the thing i will say is i have over the years become more unapologetically myself um and it's been it's it's been good i had a really um my my last my last boss at this company is a woman named Fran Townsend, and she was uh, is a, a powerhouse, five feet tall, <laughs> five feet tall and powerful. And she went through um, a lot of, you know, 
challenge and turmoil. She was deeply criticized and, you know, she held her head high and she fought for all the same things. Um, and, and even for people who were criticizing her, she just did the right thing and she kept doing the job and she, uh, empowered me and others. And it was one of those moments where I sometimes think it's easier to see one step away. So I got to watch this person who just kept going, you know, she, it was not fair what was happening and she just kept going and she just kept being who she was. And I don't know, you know, when, when the lay of the land gets sorted out in terms of, fairness and equality and justice, but I know that the respect I have for her and for, for that, like being able to just keep going. And, and so for myself, I am unapologetically, you know, authentic today. And it's been a journey to get there. Uh, it's been a journey to get there, but it's, my career has only gotten bigger as a result of it. So I don't know if I have, I, like I said, it's easier for me to step back and see that example of, of Fran and That's how she, she walked through it than it is for me to reflect back on myself. No, that that's perfect. And and I'm sure that, you know, because she did that for you, you're doing that for others, right? right. You're, you're there. I mean, you're doing that for others within your company and more importantly, you're doing that for your daughter and your son, you know, so um, that that is it's it's the best um, illustration of how other people can can show you the way. Um, and, and I am 100 percent with you in terms of, you know, just finding your authenticity and, as you know, and sticking to it, because in the end, you have to be able to look at yourself in the That's mirror. Right. That's you right. know, it, you it, it's in the end, it's basically just you. <laughs> so you need to be able to feel good about you. And, you know, I've I've always um, been really impressed. You you say that over 20 years you've done this, but I mean, I met you, you know, <laughs> a, a lot. Well, it's been 20 years, I guess, 20 years, almost 20 years. And you you have been on that journey and I've always seen you as been un, unapologetically authentic. And that's what I've always uh, loved about you. Um, and I think that's probably what has drawn us together. I was going to say, <clears throat> you are the, the <laughs> you are the definition of authentic, Merle. So that's a, a deep compliment coming from you. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you know, that. It's also contagious. Like I look at the team, my, my team today, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, authentic, strong, diverse team. So it, you know, it spreads. It's contagious. Well, Jennifer, I hate to say this, but our time has come to part. Um, but I, I do want to thank you so much for being here to BS with me today. Um, and I, I, I just applaud everything that you've said, everything that you've done. Uh, I'm so glad that you agreed to be with us. My pleasure to be here. Thanks to you, Jennifer, and thanks to everyone for listening. Until the next episode, 
remember that everybody is different and different is good. It is. That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay now, from the beginning. We hope you enjoyed the stories shared in today's episode of BS, Beyond Stereotypes. Join us next time when another authentic personality unleashes their uniqueness on the world.